your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, official Off Tackle Empire podcast and your briefing for all things from the Empire. I'm Steve Braun. Hey, I'm Andrew Kraszewski. Real good news this week. Only eight games to look back, which means that there were only a possibility of eight losses for the conference this week. Things are looking up, man. It's getting better. All right, but of course we wasted, some of us wasted no time in getting those losses. Uh, others surprisingly pulled them out, but what's for sure is that uh, I need myself a win fight tribe roof for the week, and it's going to come from Southern Tears. Uh, stout collection since the season was Warlock Imperial Stout. It's got some nice pumpkin stuff going on because, of course, this weekend marked the first weekend of fall, and also because Jeff Brom is a friggin' warlock. We predicted that they would fall to 0-4 against a surprisingly good BC team with a more diverse offensive attack than usual, and they absolutely shut it down. Jeff Brom the Wizard has no use for our prophecies of doubt, so... Yeah, came He's out. He's a friggin' warlock, and you know what? It turns out the defense was able to get a lot more stout than we gave him credit for. See how it's all coming together now? There we go. All right. We're burying the lead a little bit here. Um, as alluded to in the beginning there, this was not as bad a week across the board for the conference, but whereas last week we had a lot of just, just terrible shit to kind of layer in with the good things that happened for some teams, there's not as much of that this week, so... Uh, Rutgers front and center. Um, first of all, we should mention that because of our deci- our editorial decision here on Off Tackle Empire to discuss Rutgers at all, we are in violation of Off Tackle Empire policy, and so we're no longer actually affiliated with Off Tackle Empire. This is now a pirate broadcast, um, which means that basically we sail on our own flag. We we re- we recognize no laws or no authority. Washington um, State lost to USC this weekend, so. <laughs> For pirate radio. Anyway, uh, we're going to break all of the laws, and uh, one of those laws is the first and second rule of Off Tackle Empire Club. Do not talk about Rutgers. Gosh. Um, So you you lose 42-13 to Buffalo, which is a pretty good MAC team, but a MAC team nonetheless. You lose this game in Piscataway, which is ostensibly your home field. Um... And at no point was this game close. This is not a thing where it was tight and then, oh, Rutgers gives up a defensive touchdown and then it snowballs from there at the end. No. Buffalo led this thing wire to wire. They were the, a dominant team wire to wire. I mean, They established a 28-6 lead early in the second quarter. Yeah, and it's not like that was even that unexpected because Buffalo was a touchdown favorite on the road being a MAC team versus a Big Ten team. That should not happen. Should not happen. And here's the thing. I would argue that even though Buffalo is almost certainly a better team than Kansas, um, that this is a worse loss for Rutgers. Because in the Kansas game, there was this big meltdown in the first quarter with the three turnovers, the fourth coming early in the second quarter. And it was on the road, and you had this freshman quarterback that threw the two pick sixes, and it just, the wheels came off, and... It can be hard to rebound and regain your composure and rally the troops here. Especially yeah, during, during a game like that. Of course, yeah, a game, a game when, like when everything goes wrong, sometimes, yes, it can be hard to get a handle on things. But, but now, everybody's everybody's talking about, my goodness, has he, you know, is he in over his head here? You know, the 
everybody's mad about that game. If you're the coach, you have an opportunity to rally your team here and say, look, man, we're still, we lost a game. We got to put it behind us. We can't make that many mistakes. And they didn't even turn the ball over. In fact, they won the turnover battle two to nothing. Yeah. And, and yet you come out and you're behind immediately at home. You've got, you're making Buffalo's quarterback look like, like Dante Culpepper, basically. I mean, a, a guy looked unstoppable. Yeah, definitely a good player, Tyree Jackson, but... Look he at, had 14 completions for 263 yards. That's like nearly 20 yards per completion. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a big... Like, the secondary was supposed to be a strong point for Rutgers, and yeah, they've had an injury to a good player and bless Austin, but you're still, you're still supposed to be good back there. But they also ran for five yards a carry. And yeah, there was I no mean, part of this that was good. And, like, think about it from the other non-conference results that we've had, okay? When Purdue lost at home on a last-second field goal to Eastern Michigan, that's a devastating, embarrassing, infuriating loss. But that's a dick trip, okay? Yeah. Like, oh, they screwed up and lost this game. Rutgers could play this game a hundred more times, and probably I don't think lose. they'd win it once. Well, I think they'd probably win a few, but it would be 80 or 90% of the time, certainly, they would lose this game again. I mean, and this could have been the thing that... They were outgained 445 to 284. Like, this is... Okay, when you have a game against a strong FCS school, but you have, like, national title aspirations, this is the kind of game, this is what the stat line looks like, right? Is you just comfortably control the line of scrimmage all day. Okay, maybe your quarterback looks shaky, throws a couple picks, but, you know, he tosses some nice balls, too, and, you know, you just... It's a drama-free, you just roll through, the defense stifles them. I mean, they're... That's what Rutgers is to Buffalo. To Buffalo. That's a problem, man. In year three of a coach, the milk's gone bad. This is never going to turn around. The sooner you fire this guy, the sooner you can get started. I mean, you'd be the first team to fire a coach, wouldn't you? Is it really too early to call for that? I mean, the thing is, you play in a league. You haven't played... You've only played the one game against the league. Uh, Basically, in... Two weeks, I think, is Chris Ash's Super Bowl, and it's also Lovey Smith's Super Bowl because these are both programs that need to prove that they're not at the bottom, that they still have something. Um, I, I actually, believe it or not, like Illinois in that one right now. That's how bad Rutgers has, has, has gotten. So, no, I don't think you fire him just yet, but your goal is to compete against the rest of the league. If you're not able to do you get blown out by Illinois – that is probably a pretty good time to part ways with him. It says, nope, you can't compete against a team that was way at the bottom of the league last year. Get out of here. Grin over your head. That would have been after five or six games, right? I yeah. don't think Rutgers has a bye anytime soon. So Yeah, well, that's that's the first weekend of October. <laughs> well, that's, about, then... that's about the time frame that uh, Purdue was looking to fire Daryl Hazel in 2016. Of course, then we lost to them, so they couldn't fire him. <laughs> but then think about this. As bad as Rutgers has had it so far... If you look at the tail end of their schedule recently, I have not. Pull it up right now. Is does it get a lot worse? Think about who they played. Oh my think god! Of, right, think about November who they is gonna. Oh my god! So you've got Ohio State out of the way. That's something. Oh. But remind the people listening to the podcast, Steve, about what exactly Rutgers has coming for them the last month of the season. Well, here's the thing: it's not even just the last month of the season. Okay. Indiana's look pretty competent. Oh, they're going to the next too. Game. Yeah, we'll get to that in the re- but, in the preview. But then but. as I talked about that Illinois game, okay, so 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 that is not only where you have to prove it because Illinois has been so bad, but also because after that you've got at Maryland a team that stifled Minnesota and has the talent 
to compete with top 25 teams, even if they're not always focused. Uh, then you have versus Northwestern, a historically solid program that's almost certainly going to be improving by late October. And then you go at Wisconsin, home against Michigan, home against Penn State, at Michigan State. They could lose that month by 300 points, and it would not be surprising. They might not score a single point in November. It's entirely possible. Um, okay, so look, I think that's probably enough said about them, okay? This this loss is, I mean, how do you even compare, like like I said earlier, if losing at all to a MAC team is an embarrassment for a Big Ten team, how do you quantify a 30-point home loss? And like, Buffalo is, Buffalo is pretty good. But they're not P.J. Flex, Western Michigan, Cotton Bowl team, all right? They're not the Northern Illinois team that went to the Orange Bowl. They're going to be pretty good. They'll probably win like eight games, be a tough bowl matchup for some Sun Belt team. That's what their destiny is. What is Rutgers' destiny after this? I, I really don't even know. I mean, like, at, at, at this point, I think you have to, to put the red shirt on Sitkowski because How that guy's... How it, man? Yeah, that guy is... Not only is he getting his confidence crushed, but now he's getting crucified in the media. You know, you're putting you're putting everything on him, and this is what we actually talked about before the season. Is look, they got to he's got to be playing this for the long haul. He's got to be thinking about you know about a senior starter, Arthur Sikowski. Um We said this was a gamble that had to pay off based yeah. on where he is and where this program is. That they're <laughs> really the team around him should have been good enough. For him to be able to play through some of these freshman mistakes and go through his growing pains without it being such a complete and utter disaster. And it hasn't all been Sitkowski's fault. But man, especially against Kansas, he made things so much worse. Um, and I, I don't but think that, that there that was... that was a meltdown. That was a six-turnover meltdown. This game, though, is just like... You, you, could, you could maybe see if they played the Kansas game over again that they could win it. You, you can't see that with this Buffalo game. They were held to 4.5 yards per passing attempt, 3.1 yards per rushing attempt. They couldn't stop the pass. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't throw the ball. They were destroyed in every phase of the game. Right, and again, like it's not like we haven't seen this. They played Ohio State just a couple weeks ago, okay? But it's not like Buffalo is going to be sending 12 or 15 guys to the NFL draft the next year or two, so... There is a dog on me who I think wants me to wants to comfort me as I talk about yet another Illinois loss, our thirteenth conference loss in a row. Um, was an interesting game certainly. We put up twenty four points, and when we put up that twenty fourth point, it was the third quarter, and we led Penn State uh, twenty four to twenty one. The problem is the game continued after that point. Yeah, and, and after that, <laughs> uh, it Penn State. Then scored 42 unanswered points uh, of, and, and forced us into what must have been the worst fourth quarter played by a team that was only trailing by four. We, we got outscored 35 to nothing in that fourth quarter, and it was a thing where it wasn't like they were just trying to, you know, put it up and embarrass us. It's just we couldn't stop the run, and we turned it over inside deep in our territory a couple of times. Yeah, so... You know, I guess all that being said, this game was competitive much longer than I think most of us thought it would be, even with statistical imbalance before that suggesting that it should have been like this earlier. Uh, it's I still think it's a, probably a step in the right direction. You did not expect Illinois to win. I did not expect... Nobody expected Illinois to win. Uh, this might be about the margin you expected, but I do take this as a little bit of a sign of progress for Illinois. Well, I'll tell you, I'm really happy with Rod Smith, the offensive coordinator. The play calling has been great. Um... It's been capitalizing on what we do. Our linemen do really well when they just 
can go straight ahead and maul people in the run game. They're they're very strong. Um, they do much better run blocking than pass blocking. As you saw us try to, as the run game dried up uh, late, you once again saw us try to pass the ball, and once again, no pocket for MJ Rivers. But they were having success running the ball. And when hey, impressed, I mean, I mean, is that not what you hope a true freshman quarterback is able to look like? What Rivers? Oh, I'll tell you, you like yeah, him? Rivers. I think played really well in the first half, and I I didn't really expect all that much of him to be honest because. A true freshman, I didn't think his skill set fit the offense all that well. Um, throws a good ball, ran a little better than I expected him to. Of course, got rattled there. It sucks that his first interception was basically on a dropped pass that the ball was stripped. But um, that'll happen. The, what impressed the players that impressed me the most were the two backs, Epstein and Corbin. That basically every time they were given any room to run, they took all of it, and they were able to, you know, just the smallest opening. And they can take advantage of it. So yeah, look, I mean, I I get that the losing sucks, the extent of losing sucks. The, Eight for our last fifty-seven. The margin of losing sucks, but this team does look better. They do look substantially better. If Except you had, on defense. If Illinois and Rutgers had played this week, you would have beaten them by forty. So you can oh. hope that you can hope for a similar trajectory for both teams, and you're going to have a good result. I'm relatively confident. I mean, basically, I've been kind of you know sobering up from this game, if you will. Um, where, like, the other thing is that even though the defense looked kind of bad, the defensive line's been worse than I expected. Um, the s- players from the secondary that got suspended, they looked awful in this game. I think that practice reps are going to help them. Bennett Williams got just dunked on. He looked absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, well, Lou Dorsey made no impact. But, yeah, by week, and then Rutgers, we'll see if they look a lot better, but... You know, all this progress uh, won't mean anything until it is solidified with a three in that win column. Then we can definitely say we're better than last year. Yeah, so if you want to look at the other side of this matchup and talk about what we learned about Penn State here, um, again, not much. There may be some signs of concern with McSorley going away from the pass a little too early and looking to tuck it and scramble more than he should. Um, you have to like what you saw from Miles Sanders, although, as you said, Illinois' defense isn't great. You do kind of wonder, there's a little bit of a trend forming now with Penn State and these slow starts. You've got Ohio State this week, and again, we'll get into this in more depth in the preview, but if you start slow against the Buckeyes, given the way that ball of knives is rolling right now, it's not going to be as simple of a flip switch as it's been against Pitt and Illinois and Kent State. It's going to be more like the part of Jurassic Park where you have to go and restart the power and the Velociraptors are out. Like, it's not going to be quite so fun or play, as John Hammond said, it's not going to be like flipping on the switch, the kitchen light. So, you know, maybe some signs of hesitance there for Penn State. You do have them at home. It's going to be the game of the week by a mile in the conference. Um, only five games in the Big Ten for us to preview next week. So we may actually just staple this whole thing together and call it one. I guess we'll see how much more we're able to talk about Maryland, well, Minnesota. I also do want to point out... Uh, this could be a running segment, Lovey Smith moment of the week. Uh, I would say that this week's most that this week's loveiest moment came when uh, we faced a fourth and five, uh, down eighteen early in the fourth quarter, and elected to kick a fifty-five yard field goal instead of go for it. Here, I mean, what even is the point? I just don't understand. Of course, we miss it because you can't just keep calling on your kicker to kick fifty-plus yarders. Yarders. Uh, there's there's our lovey moment of, of the week. This lovey moment brought to you by, I I don't know, by lovey. Whatever. All right. Um, so another blowout that we had. Um, Ohio State, easy win over Tulane, 49-6. to They put this game into autopilot pretty early. 
Um, Urban's return, I completely muted the broadcast every time I turned this game on because I didn't want to hear it. Um, not much to say about what you saw in the field here. It was, again, a romp. If you haven't paid much attention to how Dwayne Haskins is playing, he's every bit as good as he as anyone ever thought he would be. Such that, I mean, it, I haven't looked at any of this stuff yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if he gets NFL consideration. He is a draft-eligible sophomore. He could go after this year if he wanted. Uh, how much better could he possibly play over the course of the next two years versus what he is now? I mean, if I guess if you're a talent evaluator, maybe you want to see more film, but he's he's always going to be on a team that has a ludicrous talent advantage against most of their opponents. I don't know how much more another year is really going to show you. So Well, it's also going to depend on, obviously, games like Penn State, uh, games like sure. Michigan, yeah. and then games like whatever they end up doing in the postseason. Right, so I'm not saying that it's a sure thing yet, but... He's certainly got it. I mean, you think about the other guys who I know have been mentioned as top prospects. Drew Locke, I definitely do see the potential there. Um, Justin Herbert at Oregon, I don't know. He's kind of just a guy to me. He occasionally makes a, a throw that kind of, you know, gets your attention. But other than that, like, are we well, really still talking about Clayton Thorson as a first-round NFL pick? I mean, there's, it's not like this quarterback class is anything outstanding. No, I mean, I don't know. How does Mason Fine project? I don't know if he's draft eligible. I haven't seen him mention. Presumably <laughs> just fine. I suppose, but if he's a group of fine five air raid quarterback, you know, maybe he's... That's a group of fine? Yeah, like, group right. of fine. Right. <laughs> it probably is in the group of fine. We've given North Texas enough pub on this. All right, so <laughs> moving along here to yet another blowout, and probably one that, I mean, when we talked about this last week, we didn't know what to expect. This outcome is sure one that could have happened. If it had gone the other way, I don't think that would have been any more surprising. If it had been a close game, it wouldn't have been surprising. Maryland taking Minnesota to the woodshed. Yeah, um, that, <laughs> I mean, that certainly happened. Um, I guess quarterback is going to be more of a problem than we were than people thought after the first three games. And it just kind of shows you that Minnesota's first three games didn't really tell you all that much. Fresno State was a reason, you know, was, was a, a good competent. Win. Was yeah, a good it was win. a good win. Uh, the other two games um, were not against competition that really showed you a whole hell of a lot. And if Anikstead is going to be uh, asked to provide a lot of the offense, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I don't think he was the problem here. I think really they just have shortcomings across the board that Maryland doesn't. Yeah. Uh, the Terps also got, I believe, all of their injured offensive linemen back. And so all of a sudden, oh, their run game works again. And it works really well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that being said, this to me felt kind of like a talent differential game that maybe we didn't think of beforehand because of how bad Maryland looked against Temple. So, you know, other than that, um, more bad news for Minnesota on the injury front. Antoine Winfield is now out for the season. Uh, he was a dynamic returner and defensive back, and with him gone and Rodney Smith gone, can you name an upperclassman for Minnesota who was a standout, who was an all-conference type of guy? Because I can't. I'll tell you what, well, I guess, our, our all-medical redshirt team is looking more and more talented every week, and it's a shame. It's really unfortunate across the conference. God damn it, Moon. <laughs> Someone is pretty worked up, um, probably because uh, she had she probably because she thought that Nebraska was gonna do some things this year, but uh, is grappling with the fact that she's wrong, and also that she's a dog and doesn't know how to place bets. Yeah, so. 56-10 to 10, Michigan over Nebraska, and this honestly felt like a game that could have been worse. <laughs> if you're Scott Frost in Nebraska, it's an interesting dilemma with how you handle Adrian Martinez going forward. He's clearly not 
healthy. Probably is not going to be healthy because, you know, they've... <laughs> He's probably never going to be fully healthy because the scheme calls for him to run. He's the only quarterback they have on roster who can run the scheme properly. At this point, they could still preserve his red shirt if they wanted, but if you play him, you're going to have a better simulation of what your program will be going forward. God damn it, Moon! <laughs> that football has an incredibly loud squeaker. And she's just getting just the best reps out of it. Uh, <laughs> um, so if you play Martinez, your team looks more like what it's actually going to look like when it's good. If you don't, you protect him from further injury, you allow him to develop a little bit more, you get another year of eligibility out of him, but what does the rest of the roster around him learn without having the actual operator of this offense? Yeah, that's a really tough situation to have just nothing in the quarterback depth chart that is going to allow you to put your offense into place. There was a point in the game where... They had Bunch in there, and then he got hurt. So they put Martinez back in. Oh my so it's, goodness. I mean, like, at that point you're talking, I think the third stringer is a walk-on true freshman. <laughs> uh, so there's there's not an easy solution here. It seems like, I mean, the comments that Scott Frost made, comments we had last week from Tanner Farmer, and even Chase Winovich commented on it after the game. An opposing player said something about this, which you don't normally hear, especially from a guy who's a senior captain, a mature dude who basically says, yeah, they, they clearly just didn't show up to play. And that appears to be the consensus of everyone who was involved in this game. Nebraska did not show up to play on the road in the big house. Like, in game three of a season, that's really bad news. Yeah, I don't... This might be a lot more of a teardown than we previously anticipated. Yeah, tear it down to the studs. Um, this, I, I don't really know what to say because I, I don't know if, if they had, you know, quote-unquote showed up to play... If the result would have been all that much different. You'd like to think they would have kept it a bit more respectable. I mean, there were definitely indicators in the second half that Nebraska had given up. Um, so, and then, you know, to talk about the other side of this, again, Michigan, this is what we see from them against vastly inferior opponents, right? It's not usually close. They don't leave games in doubt. And that's, I mean, you have to like that if you're a fan. You're never wondering at halftime, oh, are we really going to pull this out? Although I guess against SMU, they left it in question longer than they could have. Um, you saw advantages for Michigan pretty much across the board. I mean, Nebraska couldn't do when It's one of those games like you see, for example, against Alabama sometimes where when the other team has the ball, it's like, oh, honey, just stay down. Like it, Yeah, just, just, just kneel, <laughs> kneel, kneel, punt. You're better off just letting them have the ball and hope that they'll be content to run it slowly and just eat the clock out and get this game over with because you can't do anything. There was that much of a talent disadvantage. Really on both sides of the ball, but especially uh, when Michigan was on defense. So, well, I mean, and not to mention, I mean, Nebraska's rush defense is not very good. Right yeah, and now. this is not the type of opponent you want to have that against. Because if yeah. Michigan has the ability to just run every play, that's what they'll do. Uh, you know, looking ahead for Michigan a little bit, there's a couple more games here that are probably going to look like this. I mean, they're not going to beat Northwestern as easily. Probably not going to beat Maryland as easily. Uh, but then they've got a test coming up down the road against Wisconsin. And I guess that's the next time that we'll, we're likely to see them really tested again. So now we'll move into the, into the handful of games that were actually competitive. Uh, we'll start with Michigan State and Indiana in the battle for Old Brassy. Um, <laughs> ding! That's just highly sophisticated sound effects we've got here on the podcast. So as a Michigan State fan, this was a pretty frustrating game to watch because there were moments of clear potential flash. For example, the two-minute drive before halftime was, in my mind, proof positive that if D'Antonio wanted to go to a pass-first offense, 
and use the strong point of his team, which is the quarterback and receivers, to lead the way, he could do it and it would work really well. But he didn't do that. Seems like every game, like somewhat late in the game, every time that they have a game that's close, you have a play where you remember, oh yeah, Felton Davis didn't graduate yet. Yeah, and, and Cody White is also really good. And Daryl Stewart, although they had a couple misconnections in this game, is <laughs> oh, yeah, a Felton good third is still here. Why haven't we been getting in the ball? It sometimes feels like maybe the MSU coaches think that they're only legally allowed to use him one drive a game or something like that. Because they still, like in the playbook, he'll disappear for long stretches. In the work he said after the game, he's like, oh yeah, our receivers were way better in their corners. We could have thrown it downfield like that all day. Well, what, what the hell, man? It's not like you were up 65 points or something. This game was competitive for most of it because you got up 14-0 after a nice pick six, and then you just completely let the foot off the gas and... It's one thing to have a philosophy and be like, yeah, we want to be ball control. We want to run the ball. If you suck at it, it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, if you play what you're good at, you don't gain anything by saying, yeah, well, we could be winning this game by a lot if we threw the ball. So, mission accomplished. Yeah, and I just, I don't know. I mean, after a win, after a two-score win, maybe this is inappropriate thinking, but it just, it feels like, is, this, is that approach really going to work in two weeks against Penn State? No. So, <laughs> you know. I'm, well, from Indiana's side, though. Um, more of the same, unfortunately. Yeah, that pick six was really a dagger because it was kind of a broken... I mean, it, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a screen pass under duress that was not all that accurate. Bounced off the hands of... Uh, yeah, if the receiver had just missed it entirely, it probably would have been a harmless incompletion. But he didn't. It just happened to go to a waiting defender. Well, wasn't, wasn't, didn't that make it 14 nothing? Yeah. I think that was the point where that happened. And Indiana was moving the ball on that drive, too. It's not like Indiana was totally hopeless in this game. But then, yeah, I mean, you could say the same things I just did about Michigan State about Indiana. What is Tom Allen doing trying to run the ball between the tackles so much when it just wasn't working? I mean, they've been successful there with Stevie Scott so far this year, but MSU wasn't giving them anything. And when they did turn to the passing game, when they did speed things up a little bit, lo and behold, the ball starts moving now. Sure, part of that is because once they have a two-score lead, MSU basically drops back into cover two and plays soft zone, but... I mean, it sounds this... like what we're seeing is that this probably, if the coaches were properly playing to the strengths of their offenses... This would have been a shootout. Could have been like yeah. a 56-49 shootout. Could have been, yeah, or at least... yeah. We were deprived of a basketball-on-grass game, and for this... For Indiana... Shame for... on you, D'Antonio and Allen... Right, it's very rude of Michigan State being visitors in the state of Indiana to, you know, get between them and any type of basketball that they could ever have, okay? So that, for that, we apologize. Um, you know, if you talk about other foreboding signs, turnovers continue to be a problem. I mean, the one interception that Lewerke threw was just hideous. Oh, yeah. He put uh, them right back in the game with that. Yeah, and then... Like from, from deep in his own territory, just... And then the other thing was later in the game, on fourth and short... What do they call but option right, which is their new go-to power play on short yardage, I guess. And Lorky made the worst decision to pitch the ball, where he already had a guy draped all over him. And it was like he thought he was playing NCAA, where no matter how, like, you could have two defenders tackling a quarterback, and you still just tap a pitch button, and it's a perfect pitch straight to the, you know, straight to the pitch man. But that's not how it works in reality. And although it was still a turnover, they're lucky that it wasn't a scoop and score, because everyone else was ahead of the play. So if Jefferson hadn't fallen on that, it very easily could have gone the other way. And, you know, it's just... Indiana's he, mistakes just happen to be more consequential than Michigan State's. Yes. That's kind of yeah. really what those what those points were built on because it was a fairly even game if you look at the yardage. Yeah, and if you want a reason for why 
the run game doesn't work for MSU. I mean, I for one think the predictability of the scheme is a big part of it, but they had two more linemen go down with injuries in this game. It's not clear how serious those injuries are, but if you look at what the projected starters were at the beginning of the year now, four of those guys have had injuries of some kind. That Cole Chewins be out most of the season. David Beadle didn't start this game. He played some. And then now Kevin Jarvis and Luke Campbell have also gone down. That would be both your starting tackles and both your starting guards from the beginning of the season who have been injured at some point. Hopefully you get them back because there's clearly not a whole lot of capable depth behind them. It's got to be discouraging for Indiana to not be able to run the ball after the signs that they showed in their first in their first few non-conference games where we thought, hey, look, this looks like a pretty complete and diverse offense. And against a team like Michigan State, they just... 29 yards rushing. They, they just couldn't do it. And it's got to be discouraging where you keep running up against this wall all the time. Yeah, well, that, and not only in this game, but really every time Indiana gets a little bit of momentum going and it feels like they're heading in the right direction, they do they get one of these big games and they just don't come up where it matters. And this game, like I said, I mean, it's two-score margin, but it felt closer than that. Um, if they play a couple it's things a little like differently. It's got to feel like Groundhog yeah. Day. Which is really unfortunate because it, it's the team is generally fun to watch. I mean, they've got you look at the skill players; they've got a lot of really fun underclassmen. So there's a chance that this could be kind of another really effective group. But then the other thing I saw from Indiana kind of surprised me is it feels like they're not really pushing tempo anymore. Um, those years when they had their best success was when they were uh, you know lightning quick up and down the field with Sudfeld and Kaufman and all those other guys. So. They didn't really do as much of that, and that's given MSU and a lot of other defenses fits in the past. Yeah, it's just it, it was kind of an interesting, different feel to an Indiana game. I thought it would be a lot more high scoring, frankly, and back and forth, but we didn't get that. Well, anyway, um, oh man, I was gonna say something, but I can't remember what it was. So you can probably go. I, I mean, say it. this week is this next game is probably the performance of the week in the conference, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, I think Jeff Brom is the truth. Um, he continues to impress me. Uh, and if you want, man, if you want to contrast what a modern, dynamic, exciting offense looks like versus what some fossilized teams in this conference are still doing, just think about the difference between how Purdue plays and how teams like Michigan State and now Indiana, to an extent, are playing. And it's just night and day. I mean, yeah, they've had kind of a rough luck of it, or rough run of luck going early in the season, losing three games by a total of eight points, but... Even in the losses, Purdue has generally been interesting to watch. I mean, the Eastern Michigan game kind of accepted because of the weather conditions, but they've been so much more fun to watch than they used to be. Um, you finally do get this breakthrough, and you had a Boston College team coming in town that was running like a pretty well-tuned machine there. But you know, the offense didn't do all that much, given that BC's defense hasn't been dominant necessarily. I mean, they couldn't really run the ball, which BC is the kind of type of team that likes to run the ball and stop the run. Uh, they had some success passing it. Of course, Rondell Moore caught eight balls for 110 yards, uh, two scores. Continues to look like just a, a humongous difference maker. But really, the, the defense about, yeah, stepped yeah. up and just exactly they they stopped everything that Boston College tried to tried to do. AJ Dillon, feature back, 59 yards on 19 carries, picked off quarterback Anthony Brown. Four times. And maybe we'll see that this is a little bit of a pattern you can do to Boston College if you key in on the run hard enough that the passing game will malfunction very quickly. I, that, I suspect that would be the case, but I don't think anyone saw this type of result coming. I mean, it's, I think, Purdue's first win over a ranked team in like five years or something like that. 
Uh, <laughs> no, it was since 2011. Would you take care to take a guess as to what team that was? Probably Ohio State. No, it was the Illinois Fighting Illini. <laughs> I trust you to remember such things, so I'm sure you're correct. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's probably why uh, you don't hear what team that was, is be so that Purdue can say, yeah, we got our first ranked win since this one game at 2011. Doesn't matter who it was against. It was why a ranked team. Why do you ask? They were ranked, yeah. So, <laughs> all right, so... That was probably the most impressive game of the week. To move on to the most impactful game of the week, let's talk about Wisconsin at Iowa. What do you see in this? What did you see in this game? Um, a lot of running the ball and a lot of defense. Uh, and Alex Hornibrook looking very composed late in the game. There was that. Um, if you're an Iowa fan, maybe you're thinking about this game and thinking this is a fluke loss. If the game goes similar to this, we win eight out of ten times. We gave him two turnovers on punt returns that turned directly into 14 points. Holy Jesus, that punt return. I The thing uh, is, unbelievable. Those, the problem is, those plays count. I mean, that's people always want to say when you're talking, like, if we're talking about the effectiveness of a rushing offense, for example, let's go back to Michigan State for a minute. Even including the 75 yard jet sweep touchdown by Speedy Naylor, their rushing average was still pretty bad. If you take it out, it was super bad. And people always want to say, well, if you take out that one big play, well, but the play happened. So why are you taking it out? Yeah, because that's, that's part of the rushing offense. That jet sweep counts. Like, that's a thing that Tim Beckman would say. You take out those 10 plays and we're right there in the game. <laughs> right. But if you look at the yardage, yeah, they both had just a shade over 400 yards. They both had exactly 19 uh, first downs. Wisconsin controlled time of possession a little longer, but turnovers were 3-0. Iowa, and you know what? The and thing is, the, other th- the oh, last right. time that Iowa won this game was in 2015 when they went 12-0 in the regular season. And it was largely, it was a 10-6 victory on the back of five Wisconsin turnovers. So, yeah. yeah, you know, if this loss doesn't count for you, then your 2015 win doesn't count. Yeah, well, I mean, we learned after all that that 2015 Iowa team was clown fraud trash after the fact. So, so the consolation for you, Iowa fans, is that we might learn that Wisconsin is clown fraud trash. Oh, wait, we already did that. So, no, 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 no pretty, nothing for you. You sure. get nothing, you lose. Good day, sirs. You had it set up. To finally, finally wrest control of this division from the Badgers. Home game under the lights. Kinnick Magic. And you... I mean, you even contained Jonathan Taylor relatively well. And you couldn't do it because Alex Hornibrook went 17 for 22. Three touchdowns, including the go-ahead touchdown with under a minute to go. You couldn't do it. Yeah, for the first time... You lose. First time really in his career in a big game. You made Alex Hornibrook look like a next-level quarterback. So... You got, I mean, there's there's nothing to do except hang your heads, go back into your holes, come back out for the pinstripe bowl. See you in New Year's Day in Yankee Stadium. Is and it New tip Year's the Day? hat. That's not even New Year's Day bowl, is it? It's just like, it's like December 27th or something. Yep. You're one of those bowls that I watch when I have to hang out with my family. Enjoy that, Iowa. All right. It is now time for Dick Trips in Review. So... A couple of good candidates from last week, right? Normally, in a week like we just saw, Virginia Tech would have been number one with a bullet on this list, okay? A loss, even on the road, for some reason they're playing on the road, to 0-3 Old Dominion when you're ranked. I think Vautech was, what, 17, 15, something like that? Oh, I I thought it was like 13. 12 or 13, yeah. They were a little bit higher now that I think about it. And granted, Old Dominion clearly has some playmakers that Virginia Tech didn't experience. They had a receiver whose name I can't recall who I think caught like three touchdowns or something like that but Virginia Tech is certainly a darn good candidate somebody who 
people are starting to talk about as well. Maybe they're going to challenge Clemson for the ACC, and maybe they still will. It's not a league game, so... You know, functionally, it doesn't count if you don't consider yourself a playoff contender, but... Well, here's the thing. This wasn't like... Old Dominion wasn't a team like, you know, like an Appalachian State. No, 0-3. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah this, this isn't like, oh, look, the top of this conference can compete with uh, some of these big boys. No, this was a team that got blown out 52-10 to by Liberty, lost to FIU, and then lost to Charlotte. Yeah, so... Not a good look for Virginia Tech and Dustin Fuente, although it's also fair to say that partway through the game, Virginia Tech did lose Josh Jackson, their quarterback. He, I think, has a broken leg, so he's going to be out for some indeterminate period of time, but still. This was the most points ever allowed by uh, uh, Frank Foster Beamer. De- by Bud Foster. By Bud Foster defense. Frank Beamer. Bud Foster. Think about all the teams that they've played. I mean, like the, the Florida State teams, the Clemson teams. 24 of years teams. of Virginia Tech defense. This is the highest point total they've ever allowed. With that defensive staff. And it's just, I never would have seen that. So normally, this would absolutely be number one with a bullet, but... We got other candidates. We gotta go to Austin Stadium in Eugene, Oregon. Because Oregon had this game won, like, twice. Yeah, so you have the ball. There's about 40 seconds left. Stanford has one timeout. And what does that mean? That means victory formation, right? Uh, nope, wrong friend. What it means is you keep Not running. so fast, my friend. It means you run a play, and sure enough, your running back fumbles the ball. Stanford gets into field goal range, kicks a tying field goal, takes it to overtime, wins in overtime. Mario Cristobal was asked about it after the game, and it, apparently he made it sound like it wasn't even an accident. He basically said, well, we like to stay aggressive. Bro, <laughs> your aggression already won. You prevailed. <laughs> oh my god. Just... To, to quote the NASCAR lead announcer on NBC, Rick Allen, Aggressive goes around! <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. Oh my god, I just can't believe... And, and He tried and to it, justify it, y'all. Like, it, the it game didn't... that, you know, this game, okay, Washington did take control of this division for the last couple of years, but this game has a recent history of deciding the Pac-12 North. This is a big deal. This is a big deal for them to beat Stanford and especially that they haven't in a while. And yeah, and Stanford's a top ten team. And like yeah. you said, if you're gonna challenge Washington, you've got the winner. This got to win this game either way. And David Shaw just had the biggest little shit eating grin I've ever seen. Teams lose their minds when they play against him. Yeah, I don't get what like, it is. I don't Stanford know. Like, do you think has been involved in some of the stupidest games I've seen You think of that big ball Doma has, he's got some kind of like mind control ready that he, I mean, it's like you will run the ball on this play instead of victory formation. The next time you watch him on the sideline, just imagine that he is uh, telekinetically affecting the other coach on the sideline. Just just apply that logic to why his face looks the way it does. Would be a very Stanford thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you're like, now you've got, (laughs) see, now you have a subtext for Stanford games. So, you know, you're welcome. You learned something here today. And, you know, that's not even the end of candidates. I think that's got to be the clear winner, I think. That's the winner of Dick Tripp. Those, those are, we can present them as co-Dick we'll Tripp of the week. Um, uh, that's, I mean, that kind of dilutes the value of the award. This is, I know we're a millennial podcast, but we're not going to be handing out participation trophies to every team that loses in embarrassing fashion. I don't know. I've got a hot take on this, and I vehemently disagree with you for once, so we're going to get the most mileage we can out of us finally disagreeing vehemently about something. Uh, no, we probably won't. So let's talk about Mississippi State, who got stooped to death. Sure, and maybe this just means that Kentucky is actually good. I mean, <laughs> after... I did say before the season that I thought this was going to be the best Kentucky team in quite a while. 
Yeah, and they might be, but still, I mean, for Wynn to jump them up to 17 and then Mississippi State losing it only drops to 23, I think. Uh, once again, you see that as the inverse power relationship and what happens to SEC teams who win versus lose. Doesn't seem fair. But anyway, um, not a whole lot to say about this. I mean, it was it, Mississippi State really just couldn't get anything going. And, and it's they surprising. couldn't stop Benny Snell. And it's surprising because they really, I mean... Nick Fitzgerald the is a dynamic quarterback. They've got that. They've got a couple of good running backs. Their defensive line is imposing, like, as good as any of the top groups in the SEC. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very impressive that Kentucky was able to win this game. If you're Mississippi State and you had designs on challenging for the SEC this year, those probably go out the window. Although you do still have your games, you know, all your games in division lined up in front of you. But this is not a promising sign. Well, yeah, let's... If you haven't played Alabama yet, then you have not yet passed up your chance to make a big, big statement. Um, looking elsewhere around the country, a couple of couple of interesting outcomes in the Big 12. Um, Texas is back to back to back. Texas is back, 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 gone! Because they had to play Maryland again this year. So, you know, they get the win over TCU. It is at home for Texas. Um... We consulted the Texas backometer, and as Thump just told you, we had what seven or eight backs there before, before we like before we uh, before it finally one, went so, into the yeah. outfield bleachers. Yeah, so probably not a result you expected from TCU. Unfortunate. It's about a, the same. Uh, it's about the same margin as Ohio State beat TCU by. So right. there's an was, interesting. That's just what the I was transitive gonna, property is. Just perfect. what I was going to point out then is that unfortunately that kind of takes a little bit of a shine off of a. What would have been a resume item for Ohio State if it ends up coming to that, which it shouldn't. Ohio State's going to win the conference easily, but if it does, a little bit less luster on that TCU win for the Buckeyes now. Boy, suddenly Austin looks like a pretty tough place to play. Apparently. I mean, USC went in there and got just pounded, and TCU went in there and couldn't put up... I mean, they've held those last two teams to under 20 points, uh, but the other, the one I think was a bigger deal in the Big 12... Uh, was Oklahoma State getting absolutely wrecked by Texas Tech. I mean, Coach Ryan Gosling there had been seen as, like, a guy that probably should have been fired by now, right? Yeah. Like, 5-7 and seven with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> a pretty good shot. <laughs> hung, hung six touchdowns on the Steelers in Week 1. Yeah, yeah. Or Week 2. And you couldn't get to a damn bowl game with him. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Passed for 734 yards against Oklahoma. <laughs> Lost by several scores. Yeah. Yeah, because they they remain unable to put a defense on the field. And yet they held Oak State to 17 points. Go figure, man. It, there's a little bit of a random number generator effect going on across the Big 12, I think. But so I don't think this was actually as good an Oak State team as, as it was uh, maybe made not. out to I be. Mean, the, Their win against Boise State looked impressive, yeah. but... They, they have really struggled to replace Mason Rudolph to James Washington. Right, and understandably so. That was one of the most dynamic and productive connections that we've seen in college football recently. And because they've had so much success in turning guys over at the skill positions on that team, you maybe kind of assume, like, oh, they're going to be fine. They'll keep throwing up 50 every game. That's, it can be a little tougher to do sometimes. So we had a couple results in conference that would probably qualify for this as well. I mean, Boston College was on the road at Purdue, but they were better than a touchdown favorite, ranked versus I, unranked. You know what? I can comfortably call that a dick trip. The amount of people in in our little fantasy league that picked A.J. Dillon from I Boston College this so week... I so salty about that, but... <laughs> should go to show you how unexpected this was. Uh, yeah, uh, 
I th- if we thought Purdue was going to have Win. a chance yeah, of it was going to be a shootout. Yeah, didn't you think it was going to be them getting to 50 I did not somehow? think it was yeah. going to be because the defense somehow materialized. That's why, I'm drill- that's why I'm drinking this warlock. Yeah, Jeff Brown, vile, dark wizard. But anyway, that definitely qualifies. Um, you know, uh, Rutgers was a touchdown dog at home, so I guess they don't qualify for dick trip treatment. But Rutgers yeah. can only be classified as a dick trip if they still had anything left to trip over. Damn, Ken Doll-looking program. So, all right. That has been Dick Trip in Review. That has been The Week in Review. Stay frosty, everybody. Just not Nebraska. <laughs> Dick Trips in Review is brought to you by Southern Tier Brewing. This is not an actual paid endorsement, but their beer is pretty legit. Please don't sue us. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire.